they're gonna sneak. Yep, they're gonna sneak on through through. Oh, 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 oh. All right. All right, so I want to let you guys know what a great job you've done the last two weeks. We collected nearly three hundred dollars to send to missionaries. Three hundred dollars. So it's Awesome job going around and collecting change. And thank you, everybody, for helping with that. So question real quick for you is, what do you think $300 can buy? Go ahead, what? Um, 300 motorcycles. 300 motorcycles? Okay, what else? <laughs> I want to live in your world. <laughs> what else? What else might $300? I don't care, just throw out ideas. Fuel? Okay, yeah, definitely. Gas? What else? What? I didn't hear you get candy? All right, candy. Yeah, that's an important thing. What else? Toys? Toys? All right. Go ahead. Food? Yep, definitely food. What? Nothing? Okay. In, in, in some stores, yes, $300 won't buy anything. What? Oh, okay. What else? Anything else? All right, so what we want to do is we want to take a moment and we want to pray over that. And so we're going to pray specifically on those ideas. So dear Heavenly Father, we, we give thanks that you have blessed us, that we were able to donate $300 to the National uh, Missions Fund here for North America Mission Board. Lord God, we ask that that money goes to buying food that over a meal a missionary can share the gospel of Jesus Christ with someone who doesn't believe and they can come to your light and be saved through that. Lord, we ask that, that fuels the vehicles that take missionaries to places where they can share your gospel and your love and reach out. May it feed the poor. May it raise up greater awareness of, of your light in this world, God. May it buy candy for someone who might need something sweet to enjoy while they come through a, a service, Lord, or Lord, may it buy 300 motorcycles. Lord, please let it buy 300 motorcycles because <laughs> that would be so awesome. Lord, we are just so thankful that we can be part of this. For you tell us that as we come together as your body, the, with Christ as our head, great things will happen through your Holy Spirit. And so, God, we just give thanks that we are part of a greater thing than just ourselves, that River of Life is part of your greater body and that all together we go forward and we share the gospel, your truth, that people may know your light and come into your kingdom. Lord, we pray this in your holy name. Amen. All right, thank you very much. Head on downstairs. All right, we'll be in the Gospel of John, chapter 14, starting in verse 8. If you want to turn your Bibles there. So, one of the things as a chaplain in the military I spend a lot of time talking about and teaching is resiliency. And if you ever Google resilience, uh, you'll see that there's a core teaching. It's the seven C's of resilience. And the first one, um, the, the first of the C's is competence. Now, competence is an interesting thing because it comes from two places. If you're in the military or like I just got done training some of our law enforcement uh, um, agents here in this, uh, Columbia County and I'll be working with the jail here in a, the end of April, is uh, competency comes from two places. It comes from 
the organization you're part of or the, the thing that you're part of in yourself. And so incompetency, if you're part of a, a law enforcement department or a, a, a military, that organization has a role playing in developing your competence. But so do you. You have to take the lessons and internalize them. You have to listen and hear the truths and, and, and let it change who you are. You have to hear the teachings and, and live by those teachings, right? Well, that's no different in our world inside the, the church is we're going to be resilient if we're going to have resilience inside ourselves, if we're going to have a sense of being able to make it through the tough times, right, that we're called to look at with joy in our lives, we have to have resilience in order to do so. And the first C of that is competence. Now, but for us, we have a different concept of competence because while it comes from the church and the teachings of Scripture, it also comes from the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit directly dwelling in us and upon us and giving us the ability to understand the teachings and internalize it, changing our hearts and moving forward. And so that's what we're going to be reading a little bit about today. And so please stand with me as we read from the Gospel of John chapter 14, starting in verse 8. And it begins, Lord, said Philip, show us the Father and that's enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been among you all this time and you do not know me, Philip? The one who has seen me has seen the Father. And how can you say, Show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak to you, I do not speak of my own. The Father who lives in me does his work. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. And truly, I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do. And he will do even greater works than these, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, I will do it so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. He is the spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him. But you do know him. Because he remains with you and will be in you. Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to your word today. We pray that you open our hearts, you open our ears, you open our minds, that we may truly know you. For Jesus has come and unveiled you, that your character may be known and that we may be brought into the light. But Lord, he also blessed us and gifted us with the Holy Spirit that we may understand it and have the strength and the competency to walk forward in it, to be made whole in you, Jesus. Lord, we ask that you shift our hearts to be more in your will, that you change our minds to think more as you would have us think. For Lord God, we are the bearer of your spirit because it dwells within us. And may we boldly walk so that you may be present everywhere we go. Lord, we pray this in your holy name. Amen. All right, go ahead and have a seat. So first of all, I want to say thank you for Jason for proving I am not the only one who has microphone difficulties. 
So thank you. But as we dive into this moment of Scripture, this teaching from Jesus Christ, we have to remember where it's coming from, right? If we're in the private company of the disciples, we're no longer in the mass ministry of Jesus Christ. He's moving towards his end. He's washed the feet of the disciples. He's declared the betrayal that is to come, and now he's teaching some deeper lessons for them to have the resiliency to take what he has started and begun here in his ministries in the world to continue it and carry it on once he leaves this world. He's already declared he's returning to the Father. And so now we get to this point and we have this beautiful little conversation that Philip begins with his ignorance. Let's put it this way. He says, Lord, show us the Father and that's enough for us. See, that's, that's the human condition. We want to see the full proof of God. That's what our religions are trying to do. So if you don't know the difference between faith and religion, religion are the rules and regulations, the the legalistic approach of understanding how we practice our faith. But our faith is based in God and God alone. And so our religion is a pursuit of trying to understand God and how we need to interact and work with God. And it's a dangerous place because that's where the Pharisees had led astray the people of Israel. They'd come to a place where they had lost the importance of focusing on God and they were now focusing on the religion of how to follow God. And that's a dangerous place because it moves our heart away from God. It takes us away from the relational aspect. And so here Philip, having been brought up inside the Jewish tradition, is going like, if you can show us just enough of the Father, would that be great for us? He's dating back to when Moses was in the presence of Mount Sinai and asked to see God. And God says, yeah, sorry, no, that's not going to happen. Anyone who sees my face will surely die. And so Moses gets a little bit of a glimpse of his back as a reassurance that God is, right? Because we need to see in the, the present, in the physical. But Jesus goes one step further. And so while Philip is sitting here, just show us the Father. That will be enough for us. If you just show us the Father, we'll, we'll believe everything that's been pass, passed out. And Jesus rebukes him. He says, hey, have I been among you all this time and you don't know me, Philip? You've walked with me for two and a half years, brother. You've seen me teach. You've seen the miracles. Do you not see what I'm revealing to you? He says, the one who who has seen me has seen the Father. And so how can you say, show us the Father? Verse 10 gives us the perfect example. Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak to you, I do not speak of my own, and the Father who lives in me does his works. See, what Jesus is doing is is he's giving Philip and the rest of the disciples who are sitting there listening the inside scoop of what's about to happen. See, 2020 hindsight after the cross, we can see God revealed on the cross, but they haven't seen that yet, right? So he's giving them this clue. He's unveiling God. This is one of the first places where we see God unveiled to humanity. See, in Old Testament times, in Jewish tradition, you couldn't see God because you would surely perish. But that wasn't how it always was. That was a condition of our fall. It was a condition of original sin coming into the world and humanity walking in disobedience, walking in sin, and, and being removed from the presence of God. And then he was veiled and they could no longer see him face to face. But if we go back to the garden, we remember through the teachings that God walked in the presence of Adam and Eve. 
they knew him enough that they even knew as he began to walk the sound of him walking into the garden. That's why they hid before he was in their presence. He could, or they could hear him coming. See, we weren't always supposed to be veiled. We weren't always supposed to be separated from God. And Jesus is here telling Philip that you are no longer veiled from God. There's no longer a veil between you and God because God is in me, the Father is in me, and I am in the Father. We are one. And so as you stand face to face to me, as John laid his head upon me, you laid, he laid his very head upon the very God of creation. As you speak to me, you speak to the very God of creation, for he is in me and I am in him. I do not speak my words, but I speak his words. The very works you see me do are the works of the Father. See, this is the first sign of God unveiling himself to humanity. And it's a powerful statement to know that we have a father, we have a God who's willing to be in relationship with us, to walk in close proximity, to struggle and have the difficulties that we have, to walk amongst all of that. He continues on in verse 11, he says, believe me that I am in the father and the father is in me. Is in me. Otherwise, if you don't believe that, in other words, he says, believe because of the works themselves. So if you don't believe just the scene, look at the proof in the pudding. You've watched me raise the dead. You've seen me heal the sick. You've seen me make the blind see. You've seen me feed the multitudes. You've seen the miracles, the casting out of demons. If you don't believe that the Father's in me because of these words I'm sharing with you right now, believe me because of the works that you have seen. So my question to you is where do you stand in that belief? Are you still, like Philip, challenging Jesus to show you the Father? Or do you believe because of the works that have already been done, the truth that has already been revealed and the light that has already been shown into the darkness? Have you accepted Jesus Christ for who he is simply because he is who he is? He moves on, he says, in verse 12, he says, truly I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do. So I want you to think about that. I just listed all those works, right? When was the last time any of you made the blind see? Oh my, you can't answer that. <laughs> when was the last time you raised someone from the dead? I could give you a hint. If you've helped lead someone to Christ, you've risen them from the dead. Well, you didn't raise them from the dead. Christ raised them from the dead. But you were part of the process. It's a beautiful thing, is it not? But he tells us right here, he says, listen, if you believe this, if you believe that that which I have done is the Father's works and I am in the Father and that I am God, right? This is what he's saying. Then I truly tell you that the ones who believe in me will also do the works that I do because you're going to be imparted with the same spirit. And we're going to get to that here in a second. But you're going to do these works. And he says at the end of verse 12, and he will do even greater works than these because I am going to the Father. Now I think this next verse is probably one of the misused verses or most misused verses I've, I've heard throughout time. It says, whatever you ask in my name, I will do it so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Let's take a second and break that down a little bit. Because what has become is, if I pray in Jesus' name, he'll do whatever I want. Jesus, I just need to win the lottery. 
right? I prayed in Jesus' name. Why am I not winning the lottery? God must not be true. Jesus, I, I pray that you take this cancer away from me. Yeah, let's get a little bit more serious and deeper at home, right? Yeah. We lost Randy. How many times did we sit here and pray over him, laying hands on him, anointing him with oil at times? And yet we just celebrated his life through a funeral yesterday. Do we pray in Jesus' name? Oh, yeah. But here's what Jesus is saying. It starts out, you have to take verse 12 in the full. Truly, I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do sets the tone for the rest of the sentence or the rest of this section of scripture. What he's saying is that if you believe in me, you will do the works that I have done. You will walk in my will. You will do that which I command, that which I have set forth. And oh, by the way, you will do it even, or you will do even greater works than these because I'm going to the Father. So in other words, those things that I've done, you're going to do without me present. And it's going to be even a greater glory to the Father. Why? Because it's not God doing them. And we can always sit there and say, well, yeah, Jesus raising the dead is not a difficult thing because why? Because he's divine. He's the power of God. It's a miracle. It's amazing. It's something we can't reproduce inside our, our normalcy. But we can always kind of do this. But what he's saying is even greater things are going to happen because it's going to be just you. And so when he says, whenever or whatever you ask in my name, I will do it so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. What he's saying is, is if you're doing it in my will, if you're doing it with my heart, with my purpose behind it, that which will glorify God, then by all means, you'll see it happen. Now we can always sit here and argue whether or not God would be glorified by raising someone out of cancer. Most definitely if we would all confess that that's what saved him. But the hardship is, is just because we toss Jesus' name at the end of the prayer, if it's not in the will of Jesus, if it's not to glorify God, we should have no expectation of seeing it come to fruition, to truth. Because it's outside of the will of God, and why would God do anything outside of his will? See, so when he says not in his name, but it means more in his will that we're walking forward. So let's take this and put this with the next one. So where Jesus has now unveiled the Father, he says, I'm going to give you the ability to continue to do what I've done in my name, in my will. And now the next part, he's going to give us how it's going to happen. And so in verse 15, he says, Now if you love me, you will keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor. So there's our, there's our answer. If we love him and we keep his commands walk faithfully in Jesus Christ, he's going to give us something. See, this is the competency that we draw in Jesus Christ. And it's the counselor that comes, the Holy Spirit. He says, and then I will give you another counselor to be with you forever. Think of that statement that you're going to receive the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ forever. I think it even gets more important as we go on. He says, he is the spirit of truth. He gives us the hint, the world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him. That's an important lesson right there that we need to take to heart a little bit. Is, you know what, there are a lot of people who sit there and say, yeah, it's great for you, but I don't believe in that stuff. And I don't see God working. Well, if you don't believe that God's part of anything, then it's really hard to see God working because you've already kicked him out the door. You've already taken him off the table. You've already removed him from the equation. In science, that would be poor scientific method because you've already removed an answer that could be there without even 
validating whether that answer is in existence or not. You've just said, I don't care. And so yes, you're not gonna see God. You're not gonna see him doing miracles. You're not gonna see him doing anything because you're gonna rationalize because you're outside of his box. And he says, but you, meaning those who are following him, those who accepted Jesus for who Jesus was, Jesus was, knowing that God was in, or the Father was in Jesus, and Jesus was in the Father, knowing him, being in relationship with him. But you do know him, because he remains with you and will be in you. Fellow brothers and sisters, what greater news is there that we can take is that we are the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. Not just walking beside us, but dwelling within us. Bringing all the gifts that the Holy Spirit can bring. When we talk about being the body and coming together and we all have our special gifts that God has blessed us with, each to their own, we read in Romans 12. We're given the understanding that each of those gifts is imparted upon us through the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. See, what Jesus is saying is like, listen, I'm pulling back the veil and you are now in direct relationship and it's not even just a relationship of face-to-faceness, but it's a relationship of oneness. For my very spirit, the very Holy Spirit dwells within you. That gives us resilience beyond belief. You want to talk about having a competency that's beyond the power of this world And coming from outside the world, there it is right there. Knowing that you have the Holy Spirit dwelling upon you, giving you the gift that you need to make whatever you need to happen, happen in his will. I can't tell you how much confidence that gives me. See, the second C of resiliency is confidence. See, our competence breeds our confidence. But I can tell you right now, in every situation I walk into as a pastor, I don't always feel confident because I don't know if I'm carrying what I need to carry in my mind to make what I need to happen, happen for God. But when I stop for a second, I remember that through Jesus' actions on the cross, I have inherited the Holy Spirit. Now I realize it's not necessarily my responsibility to have the competency because I'm going to receive the competency from the Holy Spirit. I'm no longer going to feel neg- or negatively or fearfully as I walk into the situation because I have this power from outside of myself that is dwelling within me. The God of all of creation, the God of omnipotence, omni-knowledge, omni-essence, the Holy Spirit dwells within me. What more do I need? What more do you need? But all too often, we want to step back and we want to be Philip. We, we have God dwelling inside of us through the Holy Spirit, but yet we want to see the face of God, not even realizing that we have part of God dwelling inside of us. That's the human condition we have to come to every day. That's the human condition we have to fight. We have to move past the understanding that God needs to prove himself to us and move to the understanding that God's dwelling within us. The very love we share amongst each other is the love that flows through that Holy Spirit from God that we share amongst each other. See, this is the beauty that being a believer brings into our lives. 
we possess something that is so much powerfuler than anything we could ever imagine. I can only imagine, right, being in the presence of God, what we'll do. Will I fall to my knees? Will I sing praise? Whatever it may be. But I'm telling you right now, you're in the presence of God now. For his Holy Spirit dwells amongst us as the body of Christ. And each one of you carries a piece of it. That's why it says that the body unites under the head of Christ. For Christ is who sends it to us and controls it and gives us. Church, we are united because we're all partly the same through the Holy Spirit. That's why it says don't have rift between each other because the Holy Spirit doesn't war against the Holy Spirit. It's impossible. So if we have disagreement amongst us or if we have struggles amongst us in relationships, it's because the human side is affecting not the spiritual side. And we have to bring those into conjunction and work through those things together, bringing them into unity through Christ. If you have fear in your life or anxiety in your life, that's the flesh interacting with the world, not the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit knows exactly what its purpose is. The Holy Spirit knows exactly who he is moving through and what he is doing and where he is going towards. And so instead of having the anxiety of what might be the next thing, fall on the Spirit and let him command you where to go. See, when we follow Jesus' commands, when we share in his will, then we have the Holy Spirit that is driving what's going on. It's a beautiful thing. It's a power that nobody else who doesn't believe in Jesus Christ carries. It's a special gift that's given to those who confess their faith in Christ. And if you confess your faith in Christ, you're special. You're special beyond any other human because you are now dwelling or the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. God is no, may, no longer veiled to you, but you can see him face to face. And so we can look at Philip in hindsight and go, you silly, silly man, what were you thinking? But the question is, is how often do we let Satan place us in that prison where we want to see God, we want to have proof that he's there, all the while he's the very part of us that drives us and gives us strength inside of us. Don't be a Philip. Look at Jesus and see God unveiled right before your eyes, knowing that you're carrying the very spirit of the Father and the Son inside of you. Find strength in that. And know that you are loved beyond imagine. Amen.